Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the PBSE podcast. Steve Moore here along with Mark Castleman. It's great to be with you today. We're excited today. We've got a good topic uh, that comes from a listener that we've actually been corresponding with for off and on for a few weeks now. Um, so we wanted to start off today's session by just reading. Uh, we, we put together a couple of different uh, messages that she sent us and kind of amalgamed them, them. And we'll just read that really quick and that'll kind of kick us off on today's uh, today's topic. So this is uh, what we what we received. I have listened to many of your podcasts, and I love it. Even in the midst of my husband's devastation, he has done to me in our twenty years, twenty years of marriage from the beginning. You guys can still make me laugh over this hard stuff, which we are glad that we can do because it is it is hard stuff for sure. My question is: with all of the poor videos and images he has seen, how does the wife know what he is thinking while having sex with his wife? By this, I mean how do we know even after getting help? Which he is not, and which he is not in any recovery. So in this case, he's he's not doing any recovery efforts. That he is still not bringing some porn scenes or scenarios or acts he's seen into the bedroom. I asked that because back in 2007, I do know for a fact he quote unquote accidentally did something to me that I was degraded by. When I got up the next morning to get in my classes online, I found that exact act on a video that he had watched sometime before that night. Am I also, am I wrong for not wanting to watch movies or videos that have actresses or other people that I know he has specifically searched for? That is a great question. And we, we appreciate our listeners always reaching out to us and sharing these things with us because we love having this podcast guided by, you know, what we receive from each of you. There's so many topics and facets to this, so to this whole recovery process. So uh, we're excited to be able to kind of address this today. Um, I've got lots of thoughts on this, Mark. How does this kind of hit you right out the gate? Oh man, so many thoughts. Wow. So we, you know, we run into this a lot and I, my wife and I experienced this early on for me. Mm, So as a wife coming at a situation where, you know, your, your husband, you you discover because what we call D-Day disclosure day, either he's caught, which is often the case, or, Mm -hmm. you know, in those instances where he does come forward and tell you. Um, you now, now it's so easy and, and all the gals listening, this is totally normal 
for your brain to go into this place of hypervigilance. Totally. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I have to now pay attention to everything he's doing. He's not doing what's he looking at? What is, what is he not looking at? Right. You're in public. Who's he scanning? Who's he not mm-hmm. watching a movie? Is he, is he lusting as we're watching this movie? And especially as she described, what is he bringing into the bedroom? Yeah. He's, we're having sex, but is he really having sex with me or is he conjuring up some other fantasy in his head and I'm just the substitute? Yeah. That is a really, yeah. really hard, hard, painful thing. And it's so easy for that to become the center place of your, your life, your focus. You think about it all the time. It really can be, it, it very easily becomes an obsession. Obs- what, yeah, it becomes obsessive. Absolutely. And why? Because you're trying to protect yourself. Yes. Right. From more devastation. Yeah. From being blindsided from all of the, of course, of course, you're paying attention to all of these things. Life is unsafe because I've been hurt and I have to do everything in my power to not be hurt more. Exactly. And my wife started out like that and she finally got to the place where she realized I'm not willing to live like this. This is eating me alive. It's sucking up all my energy, all my focus. I can't show up for our kids. I can't show up for myself. I just don't enjoy my life anymore yes. because it all revolves around run one thing, your addiction. So, Absolutely. wow, it is. Yeah. It's such an issue for virtually everyone that we work with. And so we, you know, let's talk about, so what do you do with that? So yeah, you're not supposed to pay attention to what he's looking at or not looking <laughs> at or wondering whether he, you know, he saw porn today or, you know, went to the strip club or whatever was, you know, was with a hooker. I'm just supposed to let all that go and not think about it anymore again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And we, and we hear this often, right? I mean, this is a common thing in our clinics that we hear here, here with our sessions. I, you know, I've got, there's so many thoughts on this. And as with many of the topics we cover, we're just going to be able to graze that here because we only have so much time. But, uh, but I think a couple of things, you know, uh, starting points is, is there, it always, as, as I often, as often comes to mind to me, as I've been reminded in my own 12 step work, I always have to check myself in terms of where is acceptance playing a role, right? In just about anything in recovery, because that's always usually one of the main culprits to a, a barrier for progress or to change is a lack of acceptance about something, be it circumstances that I can't control in my own individual recovery or possibly my partners. And this is equally true with the addict as well as the spouse. And, and, and oftentimes now it's not the only piece, right. But one of those things that will keep us stuck in this is we haven't yet come to that place of acceptance about our true powerlessness really over what our partner does, right. We're Mm. still, we're still operating under some sort of a premise that because I'm married to this person, right. Because we've signed paperwork, because we've gone through a religious ceremony, because we are linked in in many different ways and paradigms, which are, I, I think is, are all valid, that somehow entitles me or enables me to be able to somehow sway them, right? Or to make them say or do certain things. When the right. reality is, is that, right, it always comes back to married or not married. I mean, this is true with parents raising kids, right? We work with a lot of couples struggling with kids and this the same concept applies, right? At the end of the day, can you really make either a spouse or a child do anything when the rubber really meets the road, unless you're willing to chain them in up in the basement or something, 
which hmm. no one do that. That's a disclaimer. Don't do that because you heard yeah, it on the PDC podcast. Yeah, but <laughs> but unless unless we're willing to go to extremes like that, right? There's no way to control the other person. So we have to. That's that's step one, right? I think is this acceptance concept. Well, and you you use a really difficult word. I'm going to yeah. tell you when you said, yeah. I, "Am I willing to come to the place where I accept that I am powerless?" Uh-huh. over what my spouse decides to do or not to do. And yeah. It's like, whoa, that is a hard word, uh-huh. powerless. Absolutely. Because that literally just shoots fear through your veins. Yes. What so are you true. saying? So true. Right? I What? Because now you feel so vulnerable. Yeah. Right? It's so risky. It's like, so you're saying anything's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I am right, and that is that's, that's that's I know you are. that's terrifying, right? That absolutely mm-hmm. is, and that's why that's why acceptance, even though it's an important concept, it's not. It's just the precursor, right? It's not the only solution. Here. That's just step one. That's yes. just step one. Absolutely. So, so step two. Yeah. So step two. I I mean, again, there are lots of ways to begin to approach this. Right. But if I'm really operating under that step one concept of, you know, I, I really can't control this other person, then logically, what's the next conclusion? The only thing in this situation, right, that I can control is are my actions or the lack thereof. Yep. Right. And so that brings into a frame a couple of topics that we've covered fairly recently that we won't spend too much time with, which, for example, one would be boundaries. Right. That's where my boundaries, forming them and holding them now come into play. Because boundaries, 30-second review on boundaries are always based. Excuse me. <laughs> if, we, if we do them in a healthy way, boundaries are always based around what, are my, what am I doing in order to keep myself safe as opposed to how do I manage the other person, right? It's not about managing or trying to – because and that's what the human nature component to this is, right? That's human nature is, is to – I need to sway or influence other people so that they can help me to be safe. Right. When when healthy boundaries are all about what do I need? Yep. Right? What what do I need? What what game plan do I need to develop both in my responses to the actions of others but also in in charting and directing my own path? Right? Do I need to take so that I can meet my end goals? Yeah, but that's then that's where you go from this place of being controlled by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. If he's doing these certain things, I can be happy and safe and secure. If he's not, I'm not. And it yeah. goes up and down and all around, depending on where he's at with regard to his addiction or his recovery or what he's telling me or what he's not telling me. Look at all the power that we give over to others with regard to our lives. And what yes. we're saying is by engaging in acceptance that I am powerless over what he does or doesn't do, now I can take back my power. Yes. I have power over what I do, what I think, how I come at this. Yeah. I am empowered to now step up. And this is the, I know this is scary. Believe me, I, I come from the addiction side, but I also come from the other side as well in relationships in my life where I had to finally stand up and, and say the scary thing of these are my needs. Yeah. This is what I need from you in order to be to feel happy or safe or fulfilled or whatever. And this is what I need from our relationship. Yeah. Here are the needs. There it is. And, and if we aren't able to, to reconcile that, those, yeah. right? If we aren't able to, and you were just, sorry to cut you off. If, 
by saying that we're scary, it is scary, right? Because if I say those things and I put them out there, then what does that do? <laughs> it means you need to decide if you're going to actually follow up and enforce them or if it's just going to be a threat. Yeah. And because if I'm actually willing to enforce them and really uphold them, what's the risk? The risk is that relationship may not last either in its current form or at all, right? Yep. Which is always scary. If my, if my partner continually refuses to even make the attempt, the, the genuine attempt to start to meet those needs that I've expressed, and that just continues on and on where he or she's not willing to do that. Now, if I'm going to be in my authenticity, what I call my integrity, my self-integrity, yeah. Am I going to be willing to say, you know what, this obviously is not going to work? Yes. No, absolutely. Now, there's going back to kind of the original question here, because there were several of them asked, right? So the first is about, uh, you know, wife feeling concerned because she's she's been, uh, she feels like her husband attempted something sexually in bed, right, the night prior um, without uh, that, he, that he had essentially seen, right? Yeah, that he saw in pornography and then he used her. To, to act that out on. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, uh, and, and, and obviously this is a kind of a unique situation where we're talking about how he, he claims he accidentally did that, right? Which is a whole other discussion. Um, I, w- I would say that whether it's accidental or not, the accidental, again, that's a whole other topic about abuse and taking advantage of a partner, which is not okay on any level. Um, and perhaps we need to address that in another episode, but if we talk about this, the other component, setting aside the accidental piece, right? I think that the first thing is, is again, coming to that place of acceptance with yourself, but also bringing your partner to the table of acceptance of saying, look, this is what I've seen, right? This is, this is what I saw on your computer. And this is what happened last night. And I really have a strong suspicion, right? That these two things are correlated. Like, can we talk about it? Can we open up? We need to open up a dialogue about it, right? Mm-hmm. We need to address it. We need to bring it into the light because even when we're quiet, if we're holding back on these issues, spouses, and, and, and we recognize we're sensitive that there are safety issues at play here as well. But if we're holding back um, on, on our own side of the street for whatever reason, that is definitely going to hold, it's going to hold back the connection to some degree. And in some cases is really kind of another form of manipulation, right? Not in all cases, but in some. So we've got to reflect back with transparency. Hey, right here are the issues, here are the concerns that I have, um, and and again, we need to bring this out in the open. And I need to get your thoughts and what we're an idea of the approach that we're going to take from here. Yeah, and I'm going to say something. You know, this other side. So how <clears throat> how do I know how do I know what my spouse is thinking about while we're having sex? Yes, maybe he's got all sorts of fantasies in, in his head. How do I know that he's doing that or not doing that? How do I feel safe when we're being intimate? The response to that is you can't control or, or, or even know what he's thinking or not thinking. Yes. Now, Steve just said you can ask, which I absolutely highly recommend. You bring it right out onto the table. What are you thinking right now? Now, he gets yeah. to decide if he's going to tell you the truth or not. For sure. But you, you get to ask. That is not taboo or, or, or off the table at all. Mm-hmm. So what if he lies? What if he doesn't, what if he doesn't tell the truth? How do you know if he's telling the truth? Right? We get into this whole, it's kind of like a dog chasing its tail over. Well, For sure. okay, that's true. But what about this? Well, <laughs> what about this? I mean, you will drive yourself nuts 
Well, and, and I guess probably the best way, because we have so many thoughts about this, but probably the best way to just kind of give you an intro about how we address this in other forms like the D2C program, which we'll talk about in a second, um, is, you know, what we frequently work with wives. I'm reminded of a recent experience where a wife came to me and she was asking about the same, it was the same framework, but in the context of, of yeah, them being sexual, right? How do, how do I know he's thinking about me, right, during sex? Mm-hmm. And when we started to explore it, we started to get into, well, why is that important? And, and what kind of came out about that was, well, for me, I need that. I need him to be thinking about me for the sex to be special. Right. And the question that I pose, gosh, and I wish we had more time to address this, is can it not still be special for you regardless of what he's doing? Mm. Can you let him own his side of the street with that? Right. Maybe he's not. Maybe he is thinking about something different. Maybe he's completely disconnected in the sexual experience. All you know is all that you know. Right. As spouses in this process, we make decisions, as we talk about often on this program, we, we make decisions about whether to trust, whether we're safe based on a lot of external information. Right. We, we look to our spouses to see in what ways they're providing safety. Are they creating a safe space for us? Are they being accountable? Right. Are they being transparent? All the things that we talk about, those all kind of add up and set the stage and are, are you useful pieces of information for a spouse to say, is this someone that I can trust or not? But at the end of the day, there is that leap of faith, right? Where, where we can't for sure know. And so what, what can we do? All we can do is decide from our position authentically, you know, what is right for me based on the information that I have at hand. I am choosing to trust this man. I am a different person than I was before, right? And this experience, the sanctity of this experience, the sacredness of this experience, the power of this experience does not have to diminish for me because my partner chose to make decisions or withhold information that was, that was important. Yeah. And I, and I like what you're saying, you know, and if we, so if we summarize that, you can, I always encourage uh, spouses who are wondering, you know, is he in recovery? What's he thinking about? Is he lying to me? Is he, you know, what's he doing and not doing? I say, okay, always, always pay attention to the signs. Is he in recovery? Is he, can you see that he's doing the work of recovery, right? Is he involved in a group? Does he have a sponsor? Do you know that he's touching base with that sponsor each day? Is he checking in with you each day and being raw and real on an emotional basis, right? There's lots of ways. What are his moods like? Can you see that there's some progress being made? There's lots of ways. I mean, I, I encourage you to be wise. It is very important that you, that you notice but you can only take that so far until you have to make a decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that things are sufficient that I'm going to go into this sexual, sexually intimate situation with him. And I'm going to trust. Yeah. I don't know for sure if everything's in place. I don't know what he's thinking, but I'm going, I'm going to do so because all the other signs seem to be there. Once you're in that scenario, as Steve says, all you can do is act in your own integrity. Yeah. Is this sacred for me? Am I showing up all the way for him? Mm-hmm. Have I given my whole self to this to this intimate encounter? Yes, I have. And if you if you know that going forward, you can always have that peace inside yourself that you showed up that way. Let's say that later you find out that he was lying, that he wasn't being faithful, that he was thinking of others while he had sex with you. 
and it all yeah. comes out, you still know that you had integrity. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that's the most important thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Right. And that, that is all that you can do. And, and there is a, there's a lot of work to be done around topics like this. We recognize that this doesn't happen as a result of one podcast, right? No, but, I mean, one my single gosh, experience. Yeah, this is such a complex thing. Absolutely. And there's a lot of moving parts. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, while we're gratified that are, that so many of you are helped by this podcast, if you feel like it's not quite adequate, if you like what you're hearing here, but you feel like you want to take that to the next level. And to be able to explore that on an interactive basis with us where we can go walk you through that process, this and many others like it, um, that is what we do every day on, on our Dare to Connect program. And uh, just it, it's ironic because, you know, this was something that a listener asked about, but we actually just addressed this just the other day, right? We were yeah, talking about on this Friday. On, on Friday in our, during one of our partner sessions. And we actually had this really cool experience where we had a client... Um, relate to us, you know, what uh, the, the experience that she had on there. And uh, mm -hmm. I just, we just wanted to read that really quick to kind of give you guys an idea of, of what this looks like. Uh, the subscriber said, after Friday's session, I told my husband that a guy who didn't get a sponsor and wasn't doing recovery, that a guy who didn't get a sponsor wasn't doing recovery. He said he didn't even know what I meant when I used the word sponsor, <laughs> nor did he know what a check-in was. I saw maybe I was the one driving recovery a bit, but he didn't care. Saturday, I went kayaking with my 24-year-old nephew. For the first time, I can remember in, in months and years, I just felt alive, in all caps. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have to try to not worry about my husband, who told me the next day uh, that he was relapsing while I was out. He had been invited to go kayaking, but decided not to go. That, that is what I gave up when I got married. I exchanged the freedom to just be alive for the ever-present anxiety about another person's choices. So I went home and had my husband take the accountability software off his devices because I was the only one who could see the reports. And I was using those reports to feel safety because he never wanted to rebuild my trust. I thought maybe I was just trying to force him to give me some safety. I told them that he can't depend on me anymore. And so to demonstrate that, the software would be gone. If he needs help, he will just have to go find it somewhere else. It's a good thing that he just started. Uh, he just joined a 12-step group, as she puts in parentheses. And in the meantime, I, then the meantime, I would not be able to be intimate with him at this point. I feel terrified knowing he has unfiltered and unmonitored internet. It's hard to even be around him. But I'm so profoundly, I'm so profoundly disappointed that he wasn't paying attention to what's involved in recovery. But I don't want to carry the burden anymore. I just want to go be alive. If he really doesn't want recovery, then he has the agency to make that choice. I have to quit trying to force him to make certain choices. Mm, wow! Such a such a cool piece of feedback we got. So um, cool, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? He said, "For the first time in in years, I felt I alive. feel alive." That is just so powerful because I have now transferred the responsibility of his recovery on him. Yes, I'm not policing you anymore. I'm not going to keep getting these accountability reports from your internet software that says you've looked at porn again. Yes. I'm not going to fill that role. I'm you not going to be manipulated. Yeah. You, you yeah. need to go figure that out. You yep. need to go get the support system 
that's that you need to have. You need to get serious about recovery instead of always making it my job. Absolutely. And I did this for years. I'm going to tell, you know, guys are listening. You might be getting kind of a little bit offended right now by what we're saying, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, there was a long time for many, many years where I just left it all up to my wife. Yeah. She was the one that had to be in charge of whether I was getting serious about recovery. How? By getting on my case, by getting upset, by, by crying and, and shedding tears. And I would wait for her to apply the outside pressure for me to get serious. Yeah. And it was just, it was all on her shoulders. And you know what? Not only is that not fair, not only did it rob her of her life and her joy, it was also no good for me as, as an addict. It was doing it was not it was doing nothing for my recovery and in fact was enabling me. Yeah. It was enabling me to stay stuck where I was. Yep. So I love our D to C, this D to C gal. Way to go, man. You talk about scary courage to say, I'm letting it all go and putting it on his shoulders. It's now up to him. And yeah. I'm going to live life. I mean, and isn't that what this is all about, right? For some of us, it's it. Either for years, whether you're the addict or the spouse, whether it's been years or however, maybe you've never felt this before. It's about this feeling of really maybe starting to live your life for the first time mm -hmm. in a new, different way. And so we appreciate all our listeners for being here. Again, we'd love to see you over at Dare to Connect. You can find out more information as well as pick up a two-week free trial. There's no obligation to it at daretoconnectnow.com. Um, Thanks, everybody, for being here today. Uh, so many other thoughts about this topic. Uh, we appreciate and honor all of you on this journey in recovery and, and, and are grateful that you're here, that you're willing to do difficult things and to shoot for something better in your relationships and in your marriage and in your sobriety. And we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.